Any views or opinions expressed on KUR are not necessarily those of Kutztown University, Kutztown University Student Government, Kutztown University Student Services Incorporated, KUR staff and management or other affiliated organizations. some forms of uh, literature on the podcast before on this show. Uh, but one of my favorite authors growing up was Edgar Allan Poe. He's one of the most interesting authors in history, at least in my opinion. He has everything a dark and moody author could want. A tragic childhood, the loss of a beloved wife, and a mysterious and young death. Obviously I'm joking there. His life is full of tragedy, which is very sad, obviously, but it also fueled his craft. He's been one of my favorite authors, like I said. Um, but, but I think that's kind of odd, because I'm not really into the horror genre in general all that much, but there's something about Poe's style and just the gothic horror, gothic macabre stuff in general that I just really like. So today I'm going to be discussing and reading well, reading and to some extent discussing, I'm not an expert on any of this, uh, some of his, some of my favorite works of his. So, without further ado, let's get started and jump right in to The Raven. Not the first poem I read from him, but still one of my favorites, and I think many people's favorites. Just adjust that really quick. I am by myself, so this is going to be bit difficult for me, but so bear with me in some cases. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as some, sorry, as someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. Tis some visitor, I muttered. 
tapping at my chamber door. Only this, and nothing more. Ah, distinctly I remember, it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow, vainly I had sought to borrow from the from my books surcease of sorrow, sorrow for this, for the lost Lenore. For the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels named Lenore, nameless here forevermore. And silken, and the silken sad uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before, so that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating, tis some visitor entering entrance at my chamber door, some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door. That is it, and nothing more. Presently my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer. Sir, said I, or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore. But the fact is, I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened the wide door, darkness there and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token. And the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore? This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore. Merely this, and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning, soon again I heard a tapping somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely that is something at my window, Latisse. Let me see then, what, what threat is there? and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still, and moment, and this mystery explore. Tis the wind, and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter, when the many, when with many a flirt and flutter. In their stead, in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance, made he not a minute stopped or stayed he but with mine with mien of lord and lady perched above my chamber door perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door perched and sat and nothing more then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore. Though thy crest be shorn and shaven, thou, I said, art, no, art sure no craven, ghastly grim and ancient raven, wandering from the nightly shore. Tell me what thy lordly name is, 
on the night's Plutonian shore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Much I marveled this ungainly fowl. I hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little relevancy bore. For we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door, bird or beast upon the sculpture, bust above his chamber door, with such name as Nevermore. But the raven sitting lonely on the placid bust spoke only that one word, as if his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing, fa far nothing farther than he uttered, not a feather than he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered. Other friends have flown before, on the morrow he will leave me, as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, nevermore. Startled at the stillness broken by reply so aptly spoken, doubtless, said I, what it utters is its only stock in store, caught from some unhappy master whom I, whom unmerciful disaster followed fast and followed faster, till his songs one burden bore, till the dirges of his hope that melancholy burden bore of never, nevermore. But the raven still beguiling my sad fancy into smiling, straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of the of bird and bust and door. Then upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to linking fancy unto fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore, meant in croaking, nevermore. This I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining, with my head at ease reclining on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated over, but whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating over, she shall press, ah, nevermore. Then, methought, the air grew denser, perfumed from an unseen censer, swung by seraphim whose footfalls tinkled on the tuft floor. Wretch, I cried, thy God hath lent thee. By the angels he hath sent thee respite, respite and nepenthe from the memories of Lenore. Quaff, oh quaff, this kind nepenthe, and forget thus lost Lenore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, think of evil. Prophet still, if bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore. Desolate, yet all undaunted, on this desert land unenchanted, on this home by horror haunted, tell me truly, I implore, is there, is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, think of evil, prophet, still, if bird or devil, 
by the by that heaven that bends above us by that god we both adore tell this soul with sorrow laden if within a that distant aden it shall clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels name lenore clasp a rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name lenore quoth the raven nevermore be that word or si our sign of parting bird or fiend i shrieked upstarting get thee back into the tempest and the night's plutonian shore leave no black plume as a token of that of that lie thy soul has hath spoken leave my loneliness unbroken quit the bust above my door take thy beak out from my heart and take thy form from off my door quoth the raven nevermore and the raven never flitting still is sitting still is sitting on the pallid bust of palace just above my chamber door and his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming and the lamplight over him streaming throws his shadow on the floor and my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore so that was the raven and it looks like it is time for a paper from the conductor Attention KU community, did you know that KU faculty and staff members can join KUR? Contact KUR at kutztown.edu to express your interest in joining. You can also call 610-683-4059, that's 610-683-4059, or stop by rooms 188 or 190 in the McFarland Student Union. Lastly. You can come to our weekly meetings in Rickenbach Learning Center, room 135, on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Make sure to talk to an e-board member, director, or Mike Regs before or after the meeting. This message is brought to you by the radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR. So, as I was saying, that was The Raven. Always a favorite from Edgar Allan Poe by, I think, most people. This poem was originally declined to be printed uh, by uh, Poe's friend George Rex Graham uh, in his magazine, Graham's Magazine. Uh, later, it seems that Graham regretted that decision, uh, and it, he may have tried to rectify that by publishing Poe's essay, which was about writing, um, I, I think writing The Raven, but it may have been about poet, poem composition in general. The essay was called The Philosophy of Composition in that he discussed creating a poem, but it's fairly imaginative, as, you know, Poe usually is. Later, that poem was uh, sold to the American Review, but all of the original manuscripts have uh, since been lost. So, after that poem, the next one I would like to... Uh, oh, sorry. One more thing I want to mention. He... He did. He tried to sell it to Graham, and uh, I think he tried to sell it for about fifteen dollars. But Graham wouldn't take it. But he did give Poe fifteen dollars. Uh, but it was seems to have been more of a charitable act rather than him actually purchasing the poem. That was just a quick little thing. Poe Poe greatly struggled with money throughout his entire life. So anyway. Just give me a second here. Just need to set some things up. 
just put that there. Anyway, so the next poem I would like to read through a little bit is called Annabelle Lee. This was the first poem I read from him, and I'll get more into that after I read it, but... It was many and many a year ago in a kingdom by the sea that a maiden there lived whom you may know by the name of Annabelle Lee. Actually, you know what? Sorry. <laughs> I'm breaking this up. I We're getting close to uh, a point where I'm going to have to be interrupted. So I think I'm going to just talk about what I would talk about normally afterwards before getting into it so that it doesn't break up the actual reading. So I, I, as I said, this was one of the, it was one of, if not the first poem I read by Poe. I had to read it in seventh grade from what I remember. I think I remember the specific teacher I had to read it under. Um, and I instantly fell in love. I just, I don't know what it was about this poem because I don't think I understood it as a 12-year-old. I don't think I understood the meaning behind this. But yeah, it was one of my earliest exposures to Poe and it, it's always going to be one of my favorites by him. And as of course, as I've gotten older, the meanings and feelings behind the poem have become more abundant and clear to me and have honestly resonated with me a bit more than they definitely did when I was 12, like I said. Um, but since this is also about the poem itself, that's enough about me and my feelings towards this poem. This poem wasn't published until after Poe's death so the original forms of the text only exist in manuscripts rather than the other ones which seem to have lost most of their manuscripts. Um, and secondly, Poe seems to have wanted to send a version of this poem to his friend uh, Annie Richmond, um, but he failed to do so before his death. So there is evidence of him writing a letter to her about this, but then he failed to actually send her the poem or finish or maybe he didn't have well maybe he had finished it but he just never because obviously the poem's finished um because we can read it but he did not send her a copy of it before his death but anyways just to avoid getting interrupted i think we're going to move on to some messages Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to Paranormal Express on the voice of Kutztown University, KUR. We'll be right back. End your weeks off right with Rare Vibes from 6 to 7 on Friday. Playing everything from rock. Pleased to meet you. Hope you guess my name. To indie. To hip-hop. All this and more, only on the radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR. How do you protect yourself and others from coronavirus? Avoid touching your eyes, your nose, and your mouth. Wash your hands often with soap and water for 20 plus seconds. Clean and disinfect surfaces and objects. Together, we can help slow the spread. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. You're listening to the Paranormal Express radio voice of Kutztown University. I had surprisingly good timing with that first one. Or that. <coughs> Just now. I didn't even realize. But anyway, so if you're listening in just now, I am doing a special episode here because uh, my co-host has escaped. He's out on... He's a fugitive. He's out on the run. Uh, we have not found him yet. But anyway. 
that aside, uh, I am discussing, or rather reading mostly, um, some of my favorite works by Edgar Allan Poe. Um, this next one that I'm going to be reading is one of the first poems that I have read by him. It's called Annabelle Lee, and it, I think it's also one of his more popular ones, along with The Raven, which is what I first read. Um, so without further ado, here is Annabelle Lee. It was many and many a year ago, in a kingdom by the sea, that a maiden there lived whom you may know by the name of Annabel Lee. And this maiden she lived with no other thought than to love and be loved by me. I was a child, and she was a child, in this kingdom by the sea. But we loved with a love that was more than love, I and my Annabel Lee. With a love that the winged seraphs in heaven coveted her and me. And this was the reason that long ago, in this kingdom by the sea, a wind blew out of a cloud, chilling my beautiful Annabel Lee, so that her high-born kinsmen came and bore her away from me to shut her up in a sepulcher in this kingdom by the sea. The angels not so half-happy in heaven, half, not half so happy in heaven, sorry, I sometimes stumble over words, Went, every, went envying her and me. Yes, that was the reason, as all men know in this kingdom by the sea, that the wind came out of the cloud by night, chilling and killing my Annabel Lee. But our love, it was stronger, by far than the love of those who were older than we, of many far wiser than we, and neither the angels in heaven above nor the demons down under the sea can ever dissever my soul from the soul of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. For the moon never beams without bringing me dreams of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. And the stars never rise, but I feel the bright eyes of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. And so all the night tide I lie down by the side of my darling, my darling, my life and my bride in her sepulchre there by the sea, in her tomb by the sounding sea. So that was Annabelle Lee. A bit of, it's a bit, it's, it's, it's so interesting. Poe is, Poe's writing and everything, just everything to me is so interesting. I do stumble over the words sometimes because that's just me, that's my fault. Um, but it's just interesting how it's it's very much so a poem about his love for what I I, I think was his ex well I say ex but his uh, his dead his deceased wife, but it's also very dark and macabre because he's literally going into her tomb and sleeping with her her corpse, and I don't mean sleeping I, I mean sleeping like actually sleeping. I, I think, that I, I mean, that, meh, who knows, but it says, try to find it, sorry, uh, yeah, you just, and so all the night tide I lie down by the side of my darling, my darling, my life and my bride, yeah, he goes to her sepulcher, which is essentially a tomb, and just lies down with her, it's sweet, but at the same time, very, very macabre, and I just love it. Anyway, I already gave a history and a bit of that about 
Annabelle Lee. So, next, I'll be reading another poem with a familiar name, though I've never actually read this poem before. <clears throat> it's a poem called Lenore. Ah, broken is the golden bowl, the spirit flown forever. Let the bell toll, a saintly soul floats on the Stygian river. In Guy de Vere, hast thou no tear? Weep now and never more. See on yon drear and rigid bier. Low lies thy love, Lenore. Come, let the burial rite be read, the funeral song be sung, an anthem for the queenliest dead that ever died so young. A dirge for her, the doubly dead, in that she died so young. Wretches, ye loved her for her wealth, and ye hated her for her pride. And when she fell in feeble health, ye blessed her that she died. How shall the ritual be th then be read? The requiem how be sung? By you? By yours? The evil eye? By yours the slanderous tongue? That did, the, that did to death the innocence that died and died so young. Pecavimus, yet rave not thus, but let a Sabbath song go up to God so solemnly the dead may feel no wrong. The sweet Lenore hath gone before with hope that flew beside, leaving thee wild for the dear child that should have been thy bride for her the fair and debonair that now so lowly lies the life upon her yellow hair but not within her eyes the life still there upon her hair the death upon her eyes avaunt avaunt from fiends below the indignant ghost is riven from hell unto a high estate, far up within the heaven, from grief and groan, to a golden throne, beside the king of heaven. Let no bell toll then, lest her soul amid its hallowed mirth should catch the note, as it doth float up from the damned earth. And I, tonight, my heart is light, no dirge will I appraise, but waft the angel on her flight with a pain of old days. So I don't know much about this poem because I haven't read it all that much, but that was Lenore. Um, from what I could find, there wasn't any like special history that, with this poem, which I could be very wrong about that. Um, but it seems that originally this poem was called uh, Pain? Pian? Something like that? Let me look up the meaning of that really quick. Actually, I still have it open. Oh. It means a praise song or triumph. Um, that was the original name, or seems to have been the original name that this was supposed to be published under. Eventually it was changed to Lenore. I assume it has some connection to the Raven. That's why I said, like, you may have heard the name before. Um, 
seems to have first been published in 1842 in the publication The Pioneer. But that was that was basically all I could really find on that. Um, so the next one's going to be rather long. Uh, probably the longest one I've read thus far, besides maybe The Raven. Um, but it's also a very beloved version of this. Um, it's called The Pit and the Pendulum. I was sick, sick unto death, with that long agony, and when they at length unbound me, and I was permitted to sit, I felt that my senses were leaving me. The sentence, the dread sentence of death, was that last was the last of distinct accentuation, which reached my ears. After that, the sound of the inquisitorial voices seemed merged in one dreamy, in, indeterminate hum. It conveyed to my soul the idea of revolution, perhaps from its association in fancy with the burr of a mill This only for a brief period, for presently I heard no more. Yet for a while I saw, but with how terrible an exaggeration, I saw the lips of the black-robed judges. They appeared to me white, whiter than the sheet upon which I trace these words, and thin even to grotesqueness, thin with the intensity of their expressions of firmness, an immovable resolution of stern contempt of human torture. I saw that the decrees of what to me was fate were still issuing from those lips. I saw them writhe with a deadly locution. Just to clarify what that word means, it's an expression of or uh, an expression characteristic of a, a region, group, or a cultural level, apparently. I saw them fashion the syllables of my name, and I shuddered, because no sound succeeded. I saw too, for a moment, for a few moments of delirious horror, the soft and nearly imperceptible waving of the sable draperies which enwrapped the walls of the apartment, and then my vision fell upon the seven tall candles upon the table. At first they wrote the aspect of charity, and seemed white and slender angels who would save me. But then, all at once, there came a most deadly nausea over my spirit, and I felt every fiber in my flame thrill, as if I had touched the wire of a galvanic battery. While the angel forms became meaningless specters with heads of flame, and I saw that from them there would be no help. And then there stole into my fancy, like a rich musical note, the thought of what sweet rest there must be in the grave. The thought came gently and stealthily, and it seemed long before it attained full appreciation. But just as my spirit came at length 
properly to feel and entertain it. The figures of the judges vanished as if magically from before me. The tall candles sank into nothingness. Their flames went out utterly. The blackness of darkness supervened. All sensations appeared swallowed up in a mad rushing descent as the soul into Hades, the silence and stillness, night were the universe. Sorry, just give me a second. I need to, I just wanted to check on something. I had swooned, but still will not say that all of consciousness was lost. What of it there remained, I will not attempt to define, or even to describe it, yet all was not lost. In the deepest slumber, no. In delirium, no. In a swoon, no. In death, no. Even in the grave, all is not lost. Else there is no immortality for man. Arousing from the most profound of slumbers, we break the gossamer, a web of some dream. Yet, in a second afterward, so frail may that web have been, we remember, not that we have dreamed in, in the return to life from the swoon. There are two stages. First, that of the sense of mental or spiritual. Secondly, that of the sense of physical existence. It seems probable that if upon reaching the second stage, we could recall the impressions of the first. We should find these impressions eloquent in memories of the gulf beyond. And that gulf is what? How at least shall we distinguish its shadows from these of the tomb? But if the impressions of what I have termed the first stage are not at will recalled, yet after long interval do they not come unbidden, while we marvel whence they come. He who has never swooned is not he who finds strange place palaces and wildly familiar faces in coals that glow. Is not he who beholds floating in mid-air the sad visions that the many may not view? Is not he who ponders over the perfume of some novel flower? Is not he who brain, whose brain grows bewildered with the meaning of some musical cadence which has never before arrested his attention? Amid eloquent and thoughtful endeavors to remember, amid earnest struggles to regather some token of the estate, of the state, rather, of seeming nothingness into which my soul had lapsed, there have been moments when I have dreamed of success. There have been brief, very brief periods when I have conjured up remembrances uh, which the lucid reason of a l later epoch assures me could have had reference only to that condition of seeming unconsciousness. These shadows of memory tell indistinctly of tall figures that lifted and bore me in silence down, down, still down, till a hideous dizziness oppressed me at the mere idea of the in 
interminableness of the descent. They tell also of a vague horror at my heart, of a count of that heart's unnatural stillness. Then comes a sense of a sudden motionlessness throughout all things, as if those who bore me a ghastly train had outrun in their descent the limits of the limitless and paused from the wearisomeness of their toil. After this, I call to mind flatness and dampness, and then all is madness, the madness of a memory which busies itself among forbidden things. Very suddenly, there came back to my soul motion sound, the tumultuous motion of the heart, and in my ears the sound of its beating, then a pause in which all is blank, then again sound and motion and touch, a tingling sensation pervading my frame, then the mere consciousness of existence without thought, a condition which lasted long, then very suddenly thought and sudden shuddering, terror and earnest endeavor to comprehend my true state, then a strong desire to lapse into insensibility, then a rush revival of soul and a successful effort to move, and now a full memory of the trial of the judges of the sable draperies, of the sentence of the sickness of the swoon, then entire forgetfulness of all that followed, of all that later day in much earnestness of endeavor have enabled me vaguely to recall. So far I had not opened my eyes. I felt that I lay upon my back, unbound. I reached out my hand and it fell heavy upon something damp and hard. There I suffered to remain for many minutes, while I strove to imagine where and what I could be. I longed, yet dared not to employ my vision. I dared the, the first glance at objects around me. It was not that I feared to look upon things horrible, but that I grew aghast, lest there should be nothing to see. At length, with a wild desperation at heart, I quickly unclosed my eyes. My first thoughts then were confirmed. The blackness of eternal night encompassed me. I struggled for breath. The intensity of the darkness seemed to oppress and stifle me. The atmosphere was intolerably, intolerably close. I still lay quietly and made effort to exercise my reason. I brought to mind the inquisitorial proceedings, the attempted and attempted from that point to deduce my real condition, the sentence had passed, and it appeared to me that a very long interval of time had since elapsed. Yet not for a moment did I suppose myself actually dead, such a supposition notwithstanding. What we read in fiction is altogether inconsistent without real existence. But where in what state was I? The condemned to death? I knew perished usually at the autos da fe and one of these had been held on the very night of the day of my trial 
Had I been remanded to my dungeon to await the, the next sacrifice, which would not take place for many months, this I at once saw could not be. Victims had been in immediate demand. Moreover, my dungeon, as well as all the condemned cells at Toledo, had stone floors, and light was not altogether excluded. So, with that, I will have to turn us to our next break. Thank you for listening to the Paranormal Express on the radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR. You are listening to KUR, the radio voice of Kutztown University. Did you miss a show? Want to hear your favorite shows on your time? Then check out our Mixcloud page, where you can hear select programming on your schedule. Mixcloud is a digital audio streaming service rethinking the platform of radio. Just go to mixcloud.com forward slash KU radio and click on the show that you want to hear. This is KUR, the radio voice of Kutztown University. With your KUR news, I'm Jennifer. A longtime staff member here at Kutztown University will be leaving us soon. On Friday, June 3rd, will be Dr. Michelle Keek's last day here at Kutztown University. Dr. Keek was the Dean of Graduate Studies and will be continuing her journey at the Oklahoma State where Dr. Keek has been named Provost and Vice President of Academic Affairs. Dr. Keek has been a Golden Bear member since 2012 and has contributed thoughtful, inclusive leadership in all the positions Dr. Keek has held at the university. We want to thank you, Dr. Keek, and wish you luck on your future career. We check news hourly here on KUR. Welcome back, guys, gals, and non-binary pals. You're listening to the Paranormal Express on the radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR. This is if you're just joining us now, towards the end of the episode, <coughs> we have been going over some of my favorite works from Poe. Uh, my co-host is absent. Um, I was in the middle of reading The Pit and the Pendulum. I I'm unsure if I'm going to be able to finish this story, to be honest. If I seem to be running out of time, I will uh, attempt to summarize from my memory of the of the, the story. But it's very interesting going over this. Uh, there's many mentions of Toledo, or well, it seems there's going to be a few more mentions of Toledo, which is a city in Spain where uh, I believe people learned witchcraft a lot. It's also where uh, the... Uh, and the Spanish Inquisitions took place. But anyway, without further ado, let's hop back in to the pit and the pendulum. A fearful idea now suddenly drove the blood torrents upon my heart, and for a brief period, I once more elapsed, relapsed into insensibility. Upon recovering, I at once started to my feet, trembling convulsively. It in every fiber. I thrust my arms wildly above and around me in all directions I felt nothing, yet dreaded to move a step lest I should be impeded 
by the walls of a tomb. Perspiration burst from every pore and stood in cold big beads upon my forehead. The agony of suspense grew, the length intolerable, and I cautiously moved forward. With my arms extended and my eyes staining from their sockets, in the hope of catching some faint ray of light, I proceeded for many paces, but still all was blackness and vacancy. I breathed more freely. It seemed evident that mine was not, at least, the most hideous of fates. And now, as I still continued to step cautiously onward, there came thronging upon my recollection a thousand vague rumors of the horrors of Toledo, of the dungeons there had been strange things narrated, fables I always deemed them, but yet strange and too ghastly to repeat. Save in a whisper, was I left to perish of starvation in the subterranean world of darkness, or what fate perhaps even more fearful awaited me? That the rest would be death, and a death of more than customary bitterness. I knew too well the character of my judges to, know, to doubt. The mode and the hour were all that occupied or distracted me. My outstretched hands at length encountered some solid obstruction. It was a, a wall seemingly of stone masonry, very smooth, slimy, and cold. I followed it up, stepping with all the careful distrusts with which certain antique narratives had inspired me. The process, however, afforded me no means of ascertaining the dimensions of my dungeon, as I might make its circuit and return to the point whence I set out, without being aware of the fact. So, perfectly uniform, seemingly the wall, I therefore sought the knife which had been in my pocket when I led into the inquisitional chambers, but it was gone. My clothes had been exchanged for a wrapper of a coarse serge. I had thought of forcing the blade in some minute, some minute crevice of the masonry so that I, as to identify my point of departure. The difficulty, nevertheless, was, the, was but trivial. Although in the disorder of my fancy, it seemed at first insuperable. I tore a part of the hem from my robe, from the robe, and placed the fragment at full length, and at right angles to the wall in groping my way around the prison, I could not fail to encounter this rag upon completing the circuit. So at least I thought, but I had not counted upon the extent of the dungeon or upon my own weakness. The ground was moist and slippery. I staggered onward for some time. When I stumbled and fell, my excessive fatigue induced me to remain prostrate, and sleep soon overtook me as I lay. Upon waking and stretching forth, an arm found beside me a loaf and a pitcher with water. I was 
too much exhausted to reflect upon this circumstance, but ate and drank with avidity. Shortly afterward, I resumed my tour around the prison, and with much toil came up at last upon the fragment of the surge, up to the point where I fell, I had been counted fifty-two paces, and upon resuming my walk, I had counted forty-eight more. When I arrived at the rag, where there were in all then a hundred paces, and admitting two paces to the yard, I presumed the dungeon be fifty yards in circuit. I had met, however, with many angles in the wall, and thus I could not, I could form no guess at the shape of the vault. For vault, I could not help supposing it to be. I had little object, certainly no hope, these researches, but vague curiosity prompted me to continue them. Quitting the wall, I resolved to cross the area of the enclosure. At first, I proceeded with extreme caution, for the floor, although seemingly of solid material, was treacherous with slime. At length, however, I took coverage and did not hesitate to step firmly, endeavoring to cross in as direct a line as possible. I had advanced some 10 or 12 paces in this manner, and the remnant of the torn hem of my rope became entangled between my legs. I stepped on it and fell violently on my face. And uh, with that, I think I have uh, one more paper. <coughs> Attention, KU community. Are you interested in studying abroad? The Frederick Douglass Institute is hosting a study abroad trip to the United Kingdom this summer. From July 17th to August 7th, Dr. Maria Sinelli will be teaching History 145, Search for Social Justice. And Dr. James Jackson will be teaching Psychology 290, Culture and Personality. Come to learn and explore. Visit www.douglasstudyabroad.info That's www.douglasstudyabroad for more info. Sorry. <laughs> That's www.douglasstudyabroad.info for more information. This message is brought to you by the radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR. Anyway, let's get back to the story. We do not have much time left. So our hero just fell on his face. In conclusion, attending my fall, I did not immediately apprehend a somewhat startling circumstance, which yet, in a few seconds afterward, and while I still lay prostrate, arrested my attention. It was this. My chin rested upon the floor of the prison, but my lips and the upper portion of my head, although seemingly at a less elevation than the chin, touched nothing. At the same time, my forehead seemed bathed in a, a clammy vapor, and the peculiar smell of decayed fungus arose from my nostrils. I put forward my arm and shuddered to find that I had fallen at the very brink of a circular pit, whose extent, of course, I had no means of ascertaining at the moment. Groping about the masonry, just below the margin, I succeeded in dislodging a small fragment 
and let it fall into the abyss. For many seconds I hearkened to its reverberations as it dashed against the sides of the chasm. In its descent, at length there was a sullen plunge into water, succeeded by loud echoes. At the same moment, there came a sound resembling the quick opening, as a rapid closing of the door overheard, while a faint gleam of light flashed suddenly through the gloom, and as suddenly faded away. I saw clearly the doom which had been prepared for me, and congratulated myself upon the timely accident by which I had escaped another step before my fall. The world had seen me no more, and this death just avoided was of that very character which I had regarded as fabulous and frivolous in the tales resting the Inquisition. To the victims of its tyranny, there was the choice of death with its direst, direst physical agonies, or death with its most hideous moral horrors. I had been reserved for the latter. By long suffering, my nerves had been unstrung until I trembled at the sound of my own voice and had become in every respect a fitting subject for the species of torture which awaited me. And I think I have a bit more time to continue. Shaking in every limb, I groped my way back to the wall, resolving there to perish rather than risk the terrors of the wells, of which my imagination now pictured many in various positions about the dungeon. In other conditions of mind, I might have had courage to end my misery at once by a plunge into one of these abysses. But now I was the veriest, the veriest rather, of cowards. Neither could I forget what I had read of these pits, that the sudden extinction of life formed no part of their most horrible plan. Agitation of spirit kept me awake for many long hours, but at length I again slumbered. Upon arousing, I found my bed, my side, as before, a loaf and a pitcher of water. A burning thirst consumed me, and I emptied the vessel at a draught. It must have been drugged, for scarcely had I drunk before I became irresistibly drowsy. A deep sleep fell upon me, a sleep like that of death. How long it lasted, of course I know not. But when I once again unclosed my eyes, the objects around me were visible by a wild sulfurous luster, the origin of which I could not at first determine. I was enabled to see the extent and aspect of the prison. And I think there I'm gonna have to end this episode, ladies and gentlemen and non-binary friends. I think I'll be able to continue this possibly next week or maybe the next time if, uh, if my co-host does not return. I suspect not, but we'll see. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, thank you for listening to the Paranormal Express. You can find us on our website at 
paranormal-express.com or you can listen to us on our Spotify and uh, you can check out our anchor.fm page to see everywhere where our podcast is established every platform we're on you can listen to us on the ones uh, off the top of my head that I can recall there's Spotify uh, Amazon Audible Stitcher and Google Podcast. You can listen to us there. For a full list, check out our anchor.fm. Anyway, thank you for listening once again to the voice of Kutztown University, KUR. <laughs>